People often say the truth is stranger than fiction. But honestly, when's the last time you saw that? When I hear someone say that, I usually just assume they don't read a lot. But sometimes life can surprise you. Not necessarily with something shocking, but maybe just something unexpected. When details come up randomly with no concern for a coherent narrative, as they tend to in real life, you can end up with some pretty wild combinations. The sweet spot for strangeness, though, is fiction based on truth. That's the best of both worlds, and it's exactly what we're looking at in this episode. Today's film, Dog Day Afternoon, is based on a true story of a bank robbery in the early 70s, and the random facts from the true story come together in a great narrative to tell a story that's surprising, but also surprisingly real in some places. Much more so than other heist movies you see. The film is a product of the events and concerns of the 70s, and as such loses some of its relevance to modern viewers, but this is still an entertaining film with a lot going on underneath the surface. Being that this is Pride Month, we chose this film for its surprisingly modern depiction of a gay character. Even today, gay characters are expected to be gay first and characters second. They're expected to think and act in particular ways, and this can be extremely limiting to their growth. Dog Day Afternoon gives us a strong character that just happens to be gay. That doesn't dictate all of his mannerisms and choices. This character could have just as easily been not gay. The character's individuality is what makes him and this movie ahead of its time. There are other interesting ideas at play here too, including PTSD resulting from the Vietnam War and Stockholm Syndrome, making this a complex film with a complex cast of characters. All that, plus a bit of history on how the psychiatric world viewed gayness, is coming up in this episode of Peculiar Picture Show, the podcast that talks about movies, maladies, and mental health. Welcome to Peculiar Picture Show, the podcast that talks about movies, maladies, and mental health. I'm your host, Maria Malazzo. And I am your other host, Brandon Gregory. So today we are looking at Dog Day Afternoon. It is a 1975 film directed by Sidney Lumet. And you may know him from um, some of his other work. He um, also directed 12 Angry Men, Network, and Serpico. So fantastic writer and director. This is the real life story um, about a bank robbery, which became a hostage situation and a media circus. And so it's it's in my top 10 favorite films. I actually, I have a list of my top 10 favorite films on my movie site. It's not Number 10. Um, so, I mean, this is an amazing performance by Al Pacino. So watching this, you could really see why he was lauded as one of the best actors of the 70s. This was based on an article in Life magazine in 1972. So um, that's where they got most of the information for this. And it's funny because in the article, they actually said the real guy, John, I don't know how to pronounce this, John Wachtowicz. Um, they oh, actually yeah, said he looks know. like Al Pacino. <laughs> they said he looks like Al Pacino. Um, and so they actually got Al Pacino <laughs> to play this. Yeah. So and also funny story is um, some of the details were actually left out of the movie because Sidney Lumet is like, that's just way too bizarre and nobody's going to buy it. And so with, oh, as really? yeah, with as unexpected as this film already is, the real situation was actually like way more out there. So like, what are some things that are so out there? Do you have, do you know? Um, do you, know? you know, I, I don't actually have a list. I know one of the things though, was they actually had um, pictures from the wedding that Sonny 
recently had with uh, mm-hmm. Leon. I, I'm, I'm assuming most of them were trans women. May, some of them may yeah. have been men just playing the parts. Um, mm-hmm. But and so like they, they intentionally left out a lot of details about the wedding. But I, th- I think there are some other th- details, too, that were left out. And yeah. then um, yeah. on top of that, like this whole situation is has actually be- become a case study for police forces on how to deal with crowds during a hostage situation or during a big wow. situation like this. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of crazy. So, I mean, as I said, this is one of my top 10 favorite films, but this was your first time watching it, right? Right. This was my absolute first time watching this film. Okay. So what, what I had were your... no idea. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, my first time, I, I knew nothing about the film. I just kind of went in blind and that is the best way to go into this film. So what, what did you think? So overall, what I thought, um, I, I, it took me a while. It's, I, mm-hmm. I'd say like it took me, I think I rewatched the first 30 minutes like six times because I was kind of <laughs> confused and a little bit um, uh, <laughs> uh, confused about certain things, which I don't think maybe would have happened if I saw it back in 1975. I think some of the confusing <laughs> things was because of like the things I didn't know what Attica was. So I was really yeah. confused as to why that was a big deal. Yeah, so which mm-hmm. you wouldn't know, right? If the, you they, didn't there's a line it. in there. There's a line in there explaining it, but honestly, I didn't even catch it until I didn't this past catch time it watching the first it. Time, but then I when and I rewatched so, yeah. it, I, yeah, when I rewatched it again, I caught that line. I was like, oh, but it's like I just didn't like you know. So when he comes out and he shouts Attica, and the crowd all of a sudden supports him, I'm like, wait, what happened? Why <laughs> do they support him now? Like I got right. very confused. Um, there were some things uh, that were confusing, but you know overall in general i think that this is a very good film for 1975 in terms of uh-huh. you know lgbtq rights and um and and just having that i mean is kind of ahead of its time you know yeah and then i mean uh, they they in a small way tackle racism too because there's that part where the black security guard runs out and all the police yes. just assume that he's the bank robber so yes. they're tackling that in 1975 and, and that's it's like everything's understated <laughs> yes yeah. you know yeah. so yes. even today this is ahead of its time in some respects so yeah I, f- I felt like it was a movie that had a lot to say and had a lot going on for so being so low-key like it didn't it mm-hmm. didn't focus on those issues but i think it actually is saying a lot about it and that's really kind of the focal point but it didn't seem like it going in you're just going in and you're like okay there's a bank robbery you know and then and then you realize all these different layers that happen right and the the film really does it holds its cards very close it doesn't show its cards and so when the the details start coming out it's I think it, I thought it was very entertaining to watch my first time through. I was just like, what is going on? Like about halfway through. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. But um, yeah. I, I've heard some people um, actually got bored toward the end because the thing is, this starts out as something of a funny film. Yes, and then it's it gets funny. more serious as it goes on. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. And the first 10 minutes, I was like, is this a comedy? Because everything's going wrong. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, oh my God, I can't believe. And then when they start when like the hostages, well, they become hostages. They're not hostages yet. Start arguing with him and like say, oh, my God, people have to go to the bathroom. Does everybody have like, to go to the bathroom? <laughs> yeah, like it, it, it was a. Uh, it was almost like one thing after right. another. And so and then and I, I got frustrated in that beginning um, also because I was like, why are you burning that ledger? Like it's going to you could have just took it with you and burned it later. And now it was all because he burned that freaking mm-hmm. ledger. And so I was really frustrated because I was like, 
at first I thought that Sonny was like the leader and he knew what he was doing, but then I think I don't think he knew what he was doing, and that's maybe the point. Like he's, I think he knew all the problems, or, but yeah, yeah, it was his first crime. I think he knew right. all the problems, but he didn't know all the solutions. Right, he didn't have all that because you see, like he's running around, like okay, okay, I've got, I got to deal with this. Yes. I'm gonna spray, you know, he's just uh-huh. running around trying to remember everything he knew, and it's like he's like yeah, kind of just going crazy. He's super stressed about this. Yeah, I can tell you that none of those people, uh, none of those bank robbers, were an INTJ because um, the Jays would have <laughs> had that all planned out in a little list. And <laughs> sorry, Myers. Briggs talk. Uh, Myers Briggs, yeah. Sonny was an INFJ to a to a T. So yeah. also funny, um, well not funny, but also interesting is actually most of the dialogue in this film was completely improvised. Hmm. And so it's funny because this actually won the Oscar for best screenplay. But what happened is they had a screenplay and they actually rehearsed it for two weeks and basically rewrote everything. And so they basically just performed each scene from memory. And even then, there were some wow. parts that were just completely improvised. Like um, when Sonny says, you know, to Sally, he's like, hey, so you were, we're, we're going to fly out of here. What country do you want to go to? And Sally like, thinks about it a minute. And then he says, Wyoming. Like Al Pacino had yeah. no idea he was going to say that. It's like, that's, oh. uh, that's, that's not a country. Like that was a genuine like reaction because he had no idea he was going to say that. Uh, the shouting of Attica. Like that's mm-hmm. that's a very iconic scene, completely improvised. Nobody knew he was going to do that, and so the uh, extras just reacted. The extras, like if there was some sort of award for best extras, I think I would put them right in for this. <laughs> the best <you> know? So. <laughs> was this uh, Al Pacino's first movie? Do you know, or was it? No, um, he's done some others. I I don't know exactly okay. which ones, okay. but I know he actually did another one with. Um, Sidney Lumet, he did Serpico, right? Which is, um, he, you know, he plays in this before this. Yeah, I haven't either. I hear it's really good. Yeah. So there's that, and then um, the Sonny and Leon's Leon's um, phone conversation was, I thought, a great point of the movie, but also completely improvised. Oh yeah, and that and that was played by Leon was played by. Chris, Chris Sarandon, Christopher Sarandon, Sarandon? Susan yeah, I don't actually know who that is. So. Husband, who also, oh, okay. and you're gonna know who he is when I uh-huh. tell you he is okay. in the prince. Is he in the Princess Bride? The the bad guy, oh. the guy is with the four really? fingers. No, wait, no, no, that's the six fingers. No, that's the um, that's what's his face. No, he's in. Was it? No, he's the prince in the Princess Bride, not the bad guy. Okay, he's the prince, the guy who's not obviously Carrie Elwes or however you say, but the guy who's trying to steal mm-hmm. Buttercup. You've seen Princess Bride, right? Oh, I'm, I'm very familiar okay. with the Princess Bride. That's yeah. who he so. is. Doesn't look okay. like him at all. No, I <laughs> never would have thought very that. Young. So. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought it was really interesting that that. <laughs> Chris Sarandon was in, let's see, Fright Night. Yeah, the Princess Bride. He was Prince Humperdinck. Yeah, so. Prince Humperdinck. And apparently also in Child's Play. Yeah. <laughs> So the anyway, esteemed so that's child's who play, Leon yes. is uh, is played by <laughs> Susan Sarandon's first husband. <laughs> so yeah, I I really enjoyed this film. It's um, I, I catch new things every time I watch it, just because there's so much going on here, and so it's crazy to me that most of this was improvised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's there. There's a lot, especially that comes together like when he has his phone call with. Um, Leon, like there are so many things like plot points that come together right around then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I loved it. Mm-hmm. 
So, uh, Maria, let's talk about what, what you like. Do you want to go over, I mean, with your first time coming into this, yeah. I think it's a, a great time for you to talk about your initial impression. So what did you like about this? So I think that you hit the nail on the head when you were first um, describing this, the acting in this, especially Al Pacino is like absolutely phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. How he reacts um, in that first part of the movie, like we're saying, and he's like, He's supposed to know it all. He's supposed to be the bank person, but he doesn't. He's like, you know, all that kind of stuff. I really got really anxious. Like that first, you know, when everything was screwing up at, at first, I was, uh-huh. like I said, at first I was like, am I in a comedy? And I, and I was like, wait a minute, am I, am I in a Ben Stiller movie where like they could have just done one thing, right? Like one thing wrong, just like was like a domino effect kind of thing or something. And if they right. would have just never done that wrong. So I thought that was excellent. I saw a lot of similarities with his acting in the godfather which which yeah yeah, which i so i i had asked earlier was this one his first film i think the godfather was he was before this um (laughs) um, but yeah like there's a scene in the godfather at the end of the first godfather movie where it's al pacino and he's playing michael corleone and he has to shoot these people he has to kill these people and be and like save his family and then he kind of becomes the godfather and that whole scene like that Al Pacino does at the end of the Godfather. It's like 10 minutes and you can see the discomfort in his face. He doesn't know what to do. He's so nervous. Mm -hmm. I felt was like him playing in this movie too. And when he, when he's kind of, so like the movie is really ambiguous about whether or not he really betrays Sal. Right. Like, I feel like it was not, Mm -hmm. I I mean, at first I I was like, yes, I don't think he he intended to. Right. I don't think he intended to, but then there's a couple of, instances where he kind of nods like what's his face says 10 minutes the the fbi guy is like 10 minutes and al pacino like mm-hmm. and he like words it so no one can see it and it, and before that he had said we're gonna take sal out for you you know and but he didn't mm-hmm. tell sal you know so i felt like it was almost like i don't know if he actually you know thought Sal because he doesn't want sal to kill people he seems very much he yeah. very doesn't want that to happen whereas sal looks is uh-huh. like a is like a loose cannon you know yes you know and it's very scary um and you could see that discomfort in al pacino and the way he that he kind of brought that through the character i thought was just the acting it was just amazing and then the the kind of mood and the tone of it was perfect perfectly spot on and and then the other major thing, like I said, is just that it does have a lot to say, I think, about how it brings up LGBTQ issues, but it's mm-hmm. not the kind of point of the film. But then now that I think about it, maybe it is like it's just it, it's it was really complex. And I told my friend this weekend that I saw this movie and she was like, did you like it? And at first I was like, I didn't really like this film <laughs> um, mm-hmm. at first. I didn't. But then when I started kind of talking with it with her and kind of saying, you know, it's, it's interesting that that there's a lot of those issues in there, but that's not the focus of the movie, but then maybe it is actually the focus of the movie, but it's so subtle. Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know? So I think I'm changing. I'm slowly coming over to, 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 to liking it, to being more like liking it. And, Uh And for, for those reasons, because it is a movie of its time. And I think it does an excellent job for its time. What about you? Yeah, what did I mean, you like? Oh, <laughs> I mean, we know that you um, like everything, but <laughs> yeah, it's, um, <laughs> um, going back to your your last point there, it's um, gay characters, and this still happens today. Have a lot of the same um, problems of Native American characters, where it's never just a character; it's a gay character, and right. that you know everything has to be 
you know, everything a gay character does has to be something a gay person would do because there are expectations about that. And so that was one of the, I think, best things about this was it wasn't just a gay character like Sonny's sexuality. I don't think really came into play here until about halfway through the movie. And it didn't really change yeah. a lot about his character. So he was allowed yeah. to just be a character first. Um, and that's, like I said, something that, you know, still you don't see in a lot of movies today. And so fantastic portrayal there. Um, and then Al Pacino was just phenomenal in this film. He actually, um, this performance was rated number four on Premier Magazine's 100 Greatest Performances of All Time. And so. Wow. Do you know what the number one is? <laughs> I don't. I should have looked into that. But so apparently there are three that are better than this. So I know. I want to know what three are better. <laughs> Maybe we'll look that up and put it on the, on the website. Right. We'll see. Yeah. But uh, Al Pacino is a bit of a method actor. And so he doesn't just like just magically become this character. He has to like put himself in the right state of mind. And so because he knew that like this character is just stressed out and gets more stressed out throughout the entire film. He had just finished filming The Godfather Part too and okay. so initially like he's like no way can i do this it's just gonna be too stressful for me and then yeah sydney lemay is like okay fine hey dustin hoffman can you do this and so apparently they were big <laughs> rivals and so when al pacino Ooh, found out yeah. dustin hoffman had been offered the role he jumped back and was like actually i'll take that and so i mean probably like super stressful for him because he was already stressed out. And then on top of that, he just, he took measures to make himself like more stressed out. So during the, uh, it, it took seven weeks to film this. Uh, he only slept a few hours a night and didn't eat enough either. He ate sparingly. So he just got more and more frazzled. Oh, that sounds as like a nightmare. <laughs> I know. So I want to like, sleep and eat all the time. Yeah. Like that's the point I of my know, life. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> and then, so the film was shot in chronological order too. So as he was getting like oh, more, yeah. Uh, haggard and you know frazzled like his character was as well and that actually fit perfectly and it got so bad that about halfway through production Pacino collapsed due to exhaustion and had to be hospitalized for a few days <laughs> and so he really poured himself into this role and it like it was so demanding that after this he actually took a few years off and just didn't take any starring roles because he was just so exhausted but then on top of that like Pacino like Sidney Lumet like picked up Pacino. He's like, I need you for this film. And so after that, like Pacino actually stepped in and like had some influence over the casting decisions as well. So Sal originally in the original story was 18 years old. And so his character was supposed to be 18 years old. Mm -hmm. And then um, Al Pacino is like, hey, no, John Cazale, I worked with him on you know, the Godfather, yeah. he would be perfect for this role. And so he actually got him the role. And I, you know, I think he did a great job too. Yeah. Charles I think Durning. they all did like a really great, great job. Oh, like yeah. even like the hostages, you know, the, but like you said, like it was a lot of improvisation, like their real conversations, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like the the uh, the whole cast, I thought did a phenomenal job. Yeah, Charles Durning, who played the part of the detective Moretti, I think he did a great job. He initially didn't audition for that. He auditioned for the bank manager and didn't get it. And Al Pacino's like, you really need to audition for this other role. Right. And then he got that, and he was perfect in that role. So, I mean, Al Pacino really like it's it's rare to see a film where you know, one actor kind of carries everything. And like the other, the other actors did a good job here too, but Al Pacino did an amazing performance here and like just made the movie come together. And so the only other movie I could think of that really does that is black Swan, which we did mm -hmm. a few months ago. Oh, well, there we go. We can end the podcast. We did the, no, I'm just <laughs>
<laughs> we did the crossover. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's. Uh, I, th- I think this film is intelligent and has a lot of good things to say. It's uh, like you said, it is ahead of its time. And we'll get into that in the mental health section. Mm-hmm. But um, and then I, I just like the the mixture of comedy and drama. It, like I love movies that effectively do both. Yeah. And I think this did effectively do both. And I mean, like the beginning of the film, I thought was just hilarious where like he walks in and the other guy's like, Sonny, I can't do it. Right. And just walks out <laughs> and he has to remind him. He's like, hey, leave the car here. He's I like, know. well, how am I going to get home? Yes. <laughs> Take the subway. Like it was just... <laughs> It was hilarious. Yeah. I was I was cracking up. Yeah. Yeah. And then like he he pulls that gun out of the box, except he can't do it. And he's just struggling with that gun as he's issuing threats. So I know. And you know it's, yeah. yeah, and you know how like Sonny he walks in with that like gift box that's obviously a gun. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why don't right. banks like outlaw that you can't bring gift boxes that look like flowers? <laughs> because isn't that like the typical like, they're always oh, and let me take out the gun. Like I just think it's let me funny. take out this gun size package. Yeah. 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 That was funny. <laughs> so it's um, there, and then when the you know he gets the phone call and starts making them threats, and he's like, "Wait, hang on, is there a Jenny here?" Like, right. it was so, I know. yeah, it was so. And she's like, "When are you going to be done? When are you like, going to be done? Am I going to be back for yeah. supper?" <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, it, just so many comedic elements here, but then the dramatic elements as well. Like, there's the conversation between him and Leon, and I was saying a lot of points came together there because, like, mm-hmm. he's he tries to connect with a lot of people, and so he feels like he connects with Leon and then they have their conversation and he realizes like that's not a point of connection for me this is never going to work out so he actually falls back on his other wife and tries to make it work with her and realizes that's not going to work and then immediately goes back to the hostages and you know that's that's kind of a last ditch effort like maybe I could you know still have some sort of connection there and the bank manager's like you know what I wish I'd never met you like all like all yeah. in a row, all those things happen and he just can't form any sort of human connection. And so mm-hmm. that's going to have some help, you know, mental health implications we'll talk about later. But I thought that sequence there was really well done. What about what you didn't like? Okay, so like I said, I was like firmly in the camp that I don't think I like this film. I'm sorry. Um, before uh, kind of this weekend. So I'm sorry, Brandon, um, that I was in that camp. But I think I would have just... That's all right. en- I know. I think I would have enjoyed it way more, like I said, if I saw it kind of back in the 1970s or even like the 1980s. Mm-hmm. But like one of my main points of contention was that I didn't get that reference to Attica. And even though, even with the small explanation, I was still like, still, does that really mean like a crowd all of a sudden like a crowd is but i think you have to be in that mindset of what it was like back then you know what i'm saying and it's like it's hard for me because i didn't go through that just like and i i kind of was thinking almost like along the same lines of so when the oj simpson trial came about i was Mm -hmm. in ninth grade i think when the oj simpson thing happened and i just i didn't 
get it. You know, I didn't get it back then. I didn't realize uh-huh. like a lot of that was a product of, you know, the Rodney King um, beating and, and things like that. And that it was yeah. a lot of like race issues, like systemic race issues coming kind of to a head. And I, I never got that. So I remember in ninth grade, we even watched the, um, the trial on television in school. Hmm. You know, and I remember there being a very big divide in our high school. I remember all of the African-Americans being really excited that he was found not guilty. And uh-huh. all of us, all of the white people were very confused. We didn't understand. <laughs> Nobody took the time to sit down with me and explain stuff like that or the Rodney King kind of stuff and all of the things that led mm-hmm. up to that moment and why maybe we should be happy that he was let let out, let out, even if he did do it. But just that this is a product of systemic racism that you know has right. is, is like almost like a big fuck you to white people, and and maybe that. Yeah. And so I didn't get that because I didn't live through that and I didn't realize that and I was white. So, um, so it was right. almost similar. I, I mean, I didn't learn that stuff till college. Yeah, right. So. I didn't. I I did not realize that, and and it makes a big difference. And I spent like a lot of my life saying, I just don't know why they were so happy that he was let out and now now i get it you know um it's more than just if he's guilty or not i mean this is what happens Mm -hmm. when you are you know constantly repressed and the the system the the system doesn't work for you this is exactly kind of the stuff that's going to happen and so um Mm -hmm. so i i feel like maybe there was something there about attica that i didn't get like the prison rights or something that I wasn't feeling it, yeah. at that moment, mm-hmm. you know, or I haven't been, you know, I've never felt, I've never been a prisoner or whatever, but I mean, right. I just, I need, I think I needed to be in the moment for that. And I wasn't, so it was hard for me to connect that. And I was very, um, I was very confused. And then after that is when I had to rewatch it like several times. Cause I was like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, did I miss yeah. that? Like, what is going on? Is he actually like someone that everybody likes? Is it really just about this prison thing? Uh-huh. Because he said Attica and that's how, that's really, is that how right. upset? Like it just, it seemed hard for me to grasp. I also mm-hmm. thought there was some unnecessary confusion regarding the whole wife situation, which I think was, <laughs> I know. And I, I think it was intentional, but at the same time, it was intentional to confuse the audience, not really to confuse mm-hmm. anybody else because, no, because, you know, so Sonny's character says, I want you to bring my wife here. And so he obviously gives him Leon's information. But then right. the scene automatically cuts to it the cuts theme. It cuts to, right? yeah. So you think that's his wife, which I know is intentional. But then when Leon came and I was the only one confused, <laughs> um, <laughs> I almost felt like it was to dupe me for no other reason other than to just say, haha, you were duped. Um, <laughs> so uh-huh. that was a little bit confusing for me. And then I think I had to rewind it a couple of times as well. <laughs> I mm-hmm. had to rewatch. I'm sorry, I had to rewatch it. it. Well, I mean, there's a lot of like crazy. Like that's the right. thing. The further this movie goes, the crazier it gets. Right, right. And, I mean, like it's structured very much in that way to kind of not show you things until it's time. Right, and, so, and I yeah. just I wasn't sure if I needed to be confused to get like the whole point, and maybe because you needed to be confused back then. Like again, I think it maybe it's the product mm-hmm. of its time, because to me, it's not that much of a shock that he is married to a transsexual, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. it's almost like, I think it's meant to be like a taken aback for the audience, but I, I was just <laughs> it's like, very shocking for its time. Yeah. Right. But, but it's just not really radical for me. So I think if you take this movie and kind of strip down the statement of what it makes about the trans community, it's just kind of like 
just a regular story for me that mm-hmm. is like not something that I enjoy, like the negotiator, like bank kind of robbery thing situations. But 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 it's not. It's not about that though. It's I think it is larger and it is kind of about in some ways the trans community. So I, I don't I don't know. So those were the kind of the things that just were a little off putting to me and why maybe at first I didn't like the movie, but I think it's growing on me. So mm-hmm. Especially as I talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this very much, like you said, was a product of his time because you look at some of the other movies of the 70s, police brutality or, you know, as some the other side would say, a police being tough on crime was a big debate then. Like you look at Dirty Harry, which came out just within a few years of this. The whole point of Dirty Harry was criminals are so bad that we can't afford to be hindered by the law. We need to be willing to break the law to bring down these criminals. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, very much the other side of this argument. And so that was a big debate back then was police brutality and, you know, what was going on with that. And so that had happened. You know what? I think Attica actually happens after the robbery, the actual event, but before the movie. <laughs> and so I think that was just kind of thrown oh, in there because it was on okay. the recent mind. Yeah, because... Oh, um, so, okay, okay. <laughs> but I mean, that was a big debate. And then like something else they don't really explain here, and we're going to get into this in the mental health section. Like in the 70s, like I'd always heard about Vietnam. I had no idea what a big impact it made on common culture like so many of the movies yeah. um, of the 70s were about vietnam yeah and so i mean i even, forget um, that a, i forget that mm-hmm. they do bring that up a lot in this movie yeah okay i forgot about that yeah well they, they don't bring it up a lot they, they just kind of mention it and then it's well, there I mean, but, but i um, mean like it's yeah, still a so, thing where they're like he's a vietnam a thing, vet yeah. i'm a vet you know blah 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 yeah. and like even he you know wants a he wants a military funeral like that right. kind of thing but yeah so, I mean, like, there's so many things, like, there was a Western that came out, The Outlaw Josie Wales, and the undertone of that movie is a comment on Vietnam. So, so many movies mm. were about Vietnam. And so, that's the thing is, like, they say, oh, we're both Vietnam vets. Like, there's a lot of explanation there that modern viewers need right. that needed no explanation back then. So, mm-hmm. they say, like, we're both Vietnam vets. Like, there's a lot of emotional baggage that goes with that that they don't get into because it's just assumed that the audience is going to know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, that's that's going to be probably um, a big part of the mental health conversation. But um, it's, it's something that, if it, you know, if you weren't there, if you didn't experience it, or if you haven't seen, like, a bazillion movies from the 70s, it's just not going to be a big point for you. And so, you know, for the audience in the seventies, that was probably enough. It was what it needed to be. But for, you know, an audience today, like it's, it needs further explanation and otherwise you're just going to miss the significance. It's almost like this movie could benefit from, not that I'm saying it should have, but almost Mm -hmm. that it might benefit from that scrolly thing at the beginning where it explains like the time that it's coming from. Like during this time, Mm -hmm. there was like, you know, these prison riots and the police brutality and then the Vietnam, like all that stuff. But I don't, know if I would advocate for that to do that just because, you know, some, I I don't think that I'm not saying that, but maybe I would benefit a little bit from it, but I don't know. Uh I I do like, you know, there is a certain delight in discovering things and, and, and maybe rewinding it 10 or 15 times (laughs) to to be like, wait a minute, what what did just happen? How did they, how did the crowds, Uh are the crowds happy for him now? Like, (laughs) so... What about you? What were some were those the things that you were disliked? Were there other things? Um, um, 
I that I, I think it's one that I, I, I won't say I necessarily disliked it, mm-hmm. but I didn't appreciate it on my first time through. Right. It, like the first time through, I actually went afterwards and did some research. I was like, wait, what is what is Attica? What's going on here? And yeah. I, I did some research after the fact. And I was like, OK, this makes more sense to me now. Mm-hmm. And so um, the other the other thing I think I didn't like is this does kind of drag in the end, which is weird because it's so entertaining and funny um, up front. And then I, I think that's kind of the point. I think that was intentional because it you know they were in there a long time and i think they want to kind of make the viewer you know feel some fatigue too but it just it wasn't as fun to watch in the the 15 minutes kind of leading up to the airport scene mental health do you uh do you have anything you want to say on that so i don't i don't really have very much on on this issue i think that i'd be more interested in you starting and then i can join in (laughs) all right cool yeah i got some notes on this yeah so i you touched on this earlier um homosexuality was considered a mental disorder mm-hmm. but here's the the weird thing 1975 when this film came out was the year it was declassified um, ah. as a mental disorder and so this was very topical when it came out okay um Mm-hmm. And so you notice, like, when it comes out that he's a homosexual, uh, homosexual or bisexual, we don't really know. You notice how right. quickly the crowd turns on him, right? And so that was that was the environment this was. And Al Pacino, he he loved the script, but he was actually reluctant to play a gay character as himself. So he actually grew a mustache because he's like, I, I don't want this to look like me. And ap- apparently, mm. it looks so bad that they filmed a whole day, and Sidney <laughs> Lumet is like, No, you you have to shave this off. It looks really bad. And Al Pacino's like, Yeah, it looks really bad. Oh my Oh my God, I um, wonder so, what Al Pacino would look like with a mustache. Okay. Oh, apparently so bad they couldn't film it. So. Right. Hmm. And so, I mean, you have to like think about like how hard it was to be gay in that time. And so, you know, of course he's going to keep it a secret. Of course he's going to think about running away. And then, as I mentioned, in the 70s, Vietnam was on everybody's mind. And so he came back from the Vietnam War, probably had PTSD because a ton of soldiers were coming right. back with PTSD. And so there's some evidence for that. That, you know, they, you know, he's a pacifist. He doesn't want to kill anybody. And that might be because killing is triggering for him. A big symptom of untreated PTSD is you, you feel very emotionally cut off from others. And that's something you see here is Sonny keeps reaching out to try to connect with people. I think he wants to connect with people. He wants to take care of people, but he just can't quite do it. And so that's something that's going on here. And, the, you know, the, again, these things didn't have to be explained to viewers in the 70s. Everybody just knew like, oh, he went to Vietnam. That means all this other mm-hmm. stuff because it was such a big topic of conversation. And so, we, you know, as modern viewers, we may need an explanation for that. But here's the real kicker. PTSD was not a recognized, like, diagnosable condition until 1980. Wow. And so, yeah, you think about all these Vietnam War vets that are coming back and, like, you know, they go and see mental health professional and they're like, yeah, well, sorry. You know, um, and then on top of that, like, since... 
PTSD was not a condition, but homosexuality was, that probably got blamed for a lot of his connection issues, or he feared it would, because I he was probably closeted. I like I, I don't think he was open about mm-hmm. that. Right. But I think he knew if he came forward with that, that would be, you know, the cause or, or the purported cause of all of his problems. And so you have to think about like when PTSD is not recognized or treated, but your sexuality is considered a mental disorder, that is a very lonely place to be. And so I like Oh, I'm sure this is pride month. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, like we've, we've come a long way, but it's, I mean, even today, like being gay is a lonely place to be because you, you feel like you have to hide some of yourself. And so I, I think we, we see some of that here in Sonny because I mean, we see him try to reach out. We try, we see him, you know, try to connect with others and he just, it just never works out. Um, I think the only person he does connect with is Sal, and I don't think he particularly wants to connect with Sal. And so he, he is a very lonely character, but he's not like a, a sad, pitiful character. I think he genuinely wants to take care of everyone. And that's why the situation became what it was. Like he could have easily just locked them in the vault, right. not let him go into the bathroom and escaped. But because he wanted to take care of everyone, the situation became what it mm-hmm. did. Um, like, I mean, like the guy that left the bank robbery, he could have held my gunpoint and said, no, you're staying, but he didn't. And so like, that's a super sad part of this story is I feel like if Sonny, his life situation had been a little better, he could have been the hero of a different movie. And that's, that's a really sad thing there. And then also just, I mean, like, I, I don't know, like you have depression as well. So I'd be interested to get your thoughts mm-hmm. on this, but when I'm depressed, I also have that where I just want to take care of everyone. I, I like, I have a very high level of empathy. Um, but like Sunny, I, you know, I want to take care of people, but I just can't. Mm-hmm. And I have trouble connecting with people. And that was something I really related to in Sunny. And so that's, uh, you know, I, it also just kind of, adds to the the loneliness of this character. And so those are some of the things I saw. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean and and to to answer your question, I know like when I'm really depressed, I put myself at the bottom. So like I do the thing where mm-hmm. I need to take care like I kind of do that same thing. Like I'm gonna take care of everybody else. I'm gonna make sure that they all their needs are met, but I don't care about my needs and I don't take care of myself. And mm-hmm. so maybe that's maybe that's what you're talking about. But yeah. Right. Yeah. And we do see a lot like, you know, we see from from his mom who like kind of blames like his problems on. Well, for, well, there's kind of some women's issues, too, in here. If you think about it, we, uh-huh. she blames his problems on his wife. And that's why maybe he needs to go seek a man to satisfy him kind of thing. You know, did you catch how she right. says that? Yeah, it's because your mm-hmm. wife isn't satisfied. Which, which, um, so. which is which which is women's stuff, but also gay stuff because or I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't mean to say gay stuff, you know, whatever. LGBTQ gay issues, stuff. because because, you know, you yes. know and, and even when Sal's like. They think I'm gay. You need to tell them that I'm not gay. Who the frick cares? Like, you know, you know, yeah, that whole thing. Well, in 1975, exactly. you, you did. Yeah, you yeah, did so. care about that. And so, yeah, it is very much an issue, but not, but, but, you know, not something that it, it's just so, it, 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 the movie does an excellent job of, of, of not introducing that from the start. And that is, it's gem. If it introduced mm-hmm. that whole situation from the start, I think it would be like, absolute almost garbage i think the whole point is that you know yeah yeah. so so if this movie if we knew from the beginning that he was married to a trans i think it would lose its Mm -hmm. yeah it it would lose its power yeah it's um i mean the the surprising aspects of this film i think are what made it 
yeah. great. Yeah. So, and then I mean, you also have like hot. So, like the hostage situation, trauma that people have. You know, oh, you yeah. know, with the hostages, and and they do very quickly. Almost, they're with Sunny. You know. Yeah, this is uh, Stockholm Syndrome, right. the movie. It's like yeah, superior so. Stockholm Syndrome. Um, and, and and they're all like in it together almost. You get that feeling, which mm-hmm. is it, which is, I think makes it way more powerful when he says, you know, I wish you never, when the security guard says, I wish you never came here. I felt hurt by it. Yeah. It hurt. Yeah, yeah. Because, because yeah. they seem to be bonding almost in a weird, yeah. freaky well, way. Well, I think that's, that's also, that's right after the scene where like the lead bank teller comes comes out with them um and then the detective is like hey come on come on with me and she's like no my place is with right. my girls and like everybody cheers and so like you, you see they're bonding and like at the same time like i think the audience is also bonding with sunny so when everyone turns on him i think that's a, a pretty powerful yeah. moment yeah next movie since we have two more uh two more saturdays in june which is pride month um we have decided that we are going to choose movies that we um really enjoy that we feel like represent a lot that has to do with um celebrating pride and so the next film we're gonna do is the rocky horror picture show and that is a 1975 uh, Wikipedia says a musical horror comedy film. So that is very interesting. If you have never seen Rocky Horror and you do not know the phenomenon that is Rocky Horror, you should go out and see it. Um, but it is a it, it is a musical um, by Richard O'Brien. Um, I think, uh, yeah, that's that's. I think he kind of wrote it, and it says the story centers on a young engaged couple whose car breaks down in a rain near a castle, and um, they discover and they go to this house, this castle, and um, who is the head of that is Doctor Frankenfurter, uh, played by Tim Curry, and he is a sweet transvestite. From Transylvania, transsexual <laughs> yeah, Transylvania, tra- tra- yeah. <laughs> um, and um, and 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 really, it's about uh, it's it's a musical, and and then this couple trying to kind of trying to get help, and it's very interesting that we just did uh, Dog Day Afternoon with uh, Christopher Sarandon because Susan Sarandon <laughs> is in this film. Yeah, so oh, yeah. so that's interesting. Um, it is probably one of my favorite films. I think it's listed on our website as. As, as as my it as, is as, as one, one of, of my favorites, favorites. Yeah. <laughs> um they, they change from time to time but you know i grew up and and, mm-hmm. and rocky horror picture show actually came out in 1975 just like dog day afternoon right it was 1975 right yeah, yeah. so these are the, the these these films came out in the same time um and so it's it, it'll be interesting uh-huh. to look at that from that lens but you know growing up um i had so my brother he is three and a half, almost four years older than me. And he introduced me to Rocky mm-hmm. Horror. Um, my brother is gay. And so I think that um, this is uh, is very popular with the gay community, um, you know, and, and with the LGBTQ community. Um, but, um, but I think growing up with an older brother who 
who's gay, I was introduced to a lot of films like that from an early age. So I just, I think it's interesting. Okay. I'm really grateful that I'm, that I, I, I may have watched this when I was six. Like I have no idea. And I've been watching it ever since and I love it. And so, and, and you've seen it, Brandon. Um, I've seen it two or three times. I also love this film. It's a great film. So that's what we will be talking about next time. And so be prepared if you haven't seen it. It's also a great movie to see during uh, during the Halloween holidays. So <laughs> it's an RQ. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or midnight on any day. <laughs> yes. So. All right. So now that we know what we're going right. to be doing next time, would you like to um, tell our audience where they can get in touch with us? Yes. Uh, so you can find us. Our website is peculiarpicture.show. So all webs, uh, all episodes are available for streaming on our website. And we have a few bonus things too, like a few bonus episodes, uh, bios on us and our Twitter profiles. Um, additionally, you can follow us on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash peculiarpictureshow. And so we have a few um, updates and announcements there. And feel free to uh, reach out to us on Facebook as well. Uh, additionally, I write my own movie reviews. I have a movie site that I mentioned earlier. It's brandontalksmovies.com. Com, so I'm just kind of going through some of the best movies of all time and reviewing those. And if you're interested in more uh, mental health and what we have to say on that, um, I also have a website for that. It's monsteronmyback.pub. So I have some mental health articles on that. And so that is what we got. So join us next time. We will do the time warp again. Yeah. <laughs>